Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight, Lord. We thank you for for thinking of us, Father, for, for having us in your heart and in your mind, for loving us from eternity with, uh, with an infinite giving love. Father, we thank you that you have uh, bestowed upon us grace that, uh, that we can't even begin to fathom. And Lord, we thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us through your mind and your purpose and the things that uh, that are pleasing to you. And we pray, Father, that you would uh, do that for us tonight. Guide us and teach us and enlighten our minds that we might live to your glory together and individually here by your power. In the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Last time, seems like a long time ago, we uh, got in down around verse um, 14, 15, 16, in through there. So why don't we back up just a little bit. And um, let's pick it up in verse 12. We can grab it there. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's stop there for for a moment. Last time we talked about um, this conclusion that Paul draws in this passage. He says, therefore, in verse 12, because of the things that he talked about uh, before that, that the uh, that the flesh is dead, the old man is dead, we are uh, raised again to walk in newness of life. Because of those things, because God sent His Son to do uh, for us what the law could not do, uh, being that He condemned sin in the flesh. The law uh, condemned sin, but it condemned uh, the sinner in the process. It condemned us. Christ came to condemn sin and to redeem us and to free us from uh, our old man, our old nature, the sin that, that, that resides with us that Paul talks about, and condemned the sin and brought us out of that in, in uh, newness of life. So because of that, because the flesh is dead and we now live through the Spirit, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, that is, kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. So now Paul's talking about uh, he's talking about our service and our walk, and when he talks about life and death, that's the context here. That's we we've already got the issues of salvation settled. 
and eternal security has been settled for us by the time we, we get to this point in the book of Romans. Paul's not talking about dying and going, going to hell. He's not talking about eternal death. He's not talking about spiritual death. He's talking about the death of our, uh, of our service and our, and our life of, um, of abiding and, and, and being uh, practically connected to God. In, that is in a practical working sense. We, if we walk after the flesh, we separate ourselves from the power that enables us to live this Christian life, and we are in fact walking in death. The old man is dead. If we walk in the old man, we're walking in death. Uh, so our our debt, our obligation, our um, our our connection and relationship in this life is not to the flesh but to the spirit we are debtors not to the flesh if you live after the flesh you'll die if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body you shall live so the old man is dead that's uh, positional Christ took care of that when he died on the cross but now as we walk through this life we in a, a uh, immediate and practical sense we mortify kill the deeds of the body the body's already dead now our christian life is a matter of recognizing that fact and living in the truth of it mortifying the deeds of the body for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of God. And we, we talked about that, being led by the Spirit of God as opposed to, in uh, Galatians, Paul says, if you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what, what Paul is saying here is that if, if the sons of God, the children of God today, are led by the Spirit. They're not uh, driven by the Spirit the way the, the, the law did. They're not threatened by the Spirit. They are not um, coerced or, or uh, controlled by the Spirit the way people will be in future dispensations. When God says, I will cause them to walk in my statutes out in the kingdom out there, uh, the way they were in early Acts when the Holy Ghost came upon them and they walked uh, virtually without, um, without sin. They were taken control of and filled by the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works today. Today we're not driven by the Spirit as they were under the law, nor are we controlled uh, by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit under grace. And that's what it is to be, uh, to be the children of God today. Those who are uh, the children of God are led by the Spirit. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again, that old spirit of fear and of, uh, of coercion um, that was under the law, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We talked about that um, last time again in Galatians, where Paul talks about the difference between a child and a son. And he says, a child, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant, but is under tutors and governors. And that's what Paul says here, the spirit of bondage, that, that, that spirit of, of, uh, of being a, um, a child, no different from a servant. 
But we have received the spirit of adoption, that is, the spirit of sonship. So when a child is a, is a little child, Paul says he's no different from a servant. He's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. But when the time comes, the father uh, bestows upon him full sonship. In the Jewish uh, culture, they, they call that a bar mitzvah. Uh, the, the coming of age where you move from that, from that child under, uh, uh, under thumb into, uh, into full adult uh, sonship, into that position of full sonship. That's what adoption uh, means when Paul talks about it. It's different than when we use the word today. Today you talk about adoption, you're, you're taking a stranger's child, somebody else's child, and taking them to yourself. Well, God did that for us in a sense in that we are uh, Gentiles and um, not his, uh, what Paul's going to later call the uh, natural branches. But that's not what adoption is talking about in this context. It's talking about starting off as a child of God. Paul says we were children. But when the fullness of the time was come, we, we attained that position of sonship. And that's the adoption. becoming Moving from a child on the servant level to a, to a son and having that, that position. So and and Paul so Paul says the spirit that we've received is not that old uh, spirit of fear that that they had under the law, but it's the spirit of adoption, the spirit of grace. And he says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And this is where we uh, stopped last time and I pointed out to you that in that verse, Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 17, there are two ifs. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's moving us. We're still talking about the flesh and the, uh, the, the obsolescence, that is, the, the fact that the flesh is obsolete in the life of a believer. It's the old uh, man who's passed away. It's, it, it's a thing of the past. It's obsolete. The, uh, the, 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 the living, vibrant, active uh, force of our life now is, is spirit. It's not flesh. And so we're still in that context. So now what Paul is going to start talking about, he's talked about it from a doctrinal standpoint. Now we're going to start seeing it from a practical standpoint. What do I do? in my life to, uh, to bring this positional truth into my condition, to make it a reality in my experience. It's all well and good to say the old man is dead positionally, but I'm no different experientially because I have trouble with the old man every day, all the time. He's always there bugging me, right? So what do I do in a practical way to, to, to deal with that? Well, this, this is what we're getting into, and the answer is suffering. That's not the answer you wanted to hear, but that's the answer. Now, 
Paul connects suffering here to our inheritance. And again, there are two ifs in this verse, and you want to get this uh, in Romans 8.17. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God... Heirs, let's here, stop it at that comma. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God. So if you are a child of God, if you're saved tonight, you are an heir. You are an heir of God. You, you are uh, the, an heir of salvation. You are an heir of, of heaven. You are an heir of, uh, of glory. You are an heir of God. By, uh, by being saved. So that's the first if. That's the first condition. People who are not saved don't meet this condition, are not children of God, are not heirs of God. The whole world is not God's children, uh, unlike what many people will, will say to you. So if um, we're children, then we're heirs. And if we have the Spirit, we are children. But then he says, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there's the second if. And the second if has to do with being joint heirs with Christ. And the if, the condition, is that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, come, come on with me. Uh, get Hebrews chapter two, and let's uh, let's run some passages here. I'd like to kind of get down through this uh, next several verses here to kind of keep the continuity for us. And we've got some verses to look at, so I'm going to start running a little bit. If we suffer with Christ. We are joint heirs with Him, and we must suffer with Him if we're going to be glorified together. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be glorified, had to suffer. It was necessary that the Lord Jesus Christ suffer in order to attain the uh, inheritance, the position that He uh, has been given. Hebrews chapter 2 um, let's just um, let's get verse nine, a couple verses. Hebrews two nine. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So there is a, uh, a kinship. Number one, the, uh, the, the suffering of Christ there is directly connected to the glory that he received. For the suffering of death, he was crowned with glory and honor. And it pleased God to make Jesus Christ perfect through suffering. You say, now how does that work? How does Jesus Christ get made perfect? Wasn't he perfect to start with? Well, it's talking about the perfection that it's talking about. Come to uh, 
come into chapter 12, let me show you the perfection that it's talking about. Uh, Hebrews. Yeah, sorry. Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see that? So the spirits of just men made perfect. So there's uh, the saints in, in New Jerusalem, who have dropped the uh, the old sin nature, and their spirits are there and and have been made perfect. But now look back at the end of uh, chapter eleven and compare that verse with this one, chapter eleven, verse uh, thirty nine. After uh, Hebrews goes through this uh, list of faithful saints through the Old Testament, these all having obtained a good report. Through faith receive not the promises, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So on the one hand, you've got these Old Testament saints up there in New Jerusalem. Chapter 12 said the spirits of just men made perfect. Chapter 11, talking about the same people, says that they're not perfect. They're waiting for us, or in this context, the Hebrews, the saints. So are they perfect or aren't they? It's the same question. Was Christ perfect? Or was He made perfect through suffering? Well, it depends on, on what perfect you're looking for. The perfect in chapter 11 is, is resurrection. Their completion. Their glorification. Their perfection is waiting they were God was not going to make them perfect until he gathered all the all the sheep into the fold and everybody gets resurrected made perfect together so their spirits are up there perfect in that they're sinless but they're not perfect in that they haven't received their glorified bodies the lord jesus christ was made perfect in resurrection in glorification he already had sinless perfection that's not uh what chapter 2 is talking about he he was made perfect through sufferings, the suffering of death. And he rose again. Now you and I are made perfect through that same process. We are made perfect through suffering. We will ultimately be made perfect through suffering when we uh, suffer death and then are raised again. Or if we are of the uh, of the generation that's alive and remain, we won't have to suffer death, but our, we're still going to drop the old man and be perfected that way. But in the meantime, back to Romans 8, you and I are made perfect through suffering, just like the Lord Jesus was. See, now that's why Paul says here in Romans 8.17 that we are joint heirs with Christ if so be not that we suffer for Him, but that we suffer with Him. We suffer with 
the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a kinship with Him in suffering. That's why the verse we just read says that for this cause He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Because they have that connection of suffering together. You and I, we suffer with Christ as we walk through this world. Now, number one, you, you need to see that the suffering is necessary to this issue of being a joint heir with Christ. Your suffering, the suffering that you embrace in this life, has a direct connection to your inheritance out in the future out there. Just being a Christian makes you an heir, an heir of God. And that's a fantastic thing uh, in and of itself. And there are, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of the population of the world out there uh, is going to wish that they had that. But that's not, God's not satisfied with that just our salvation, just our entrance into heaven. He wants us to be he wants us to share in the full measure of the glory of Christ, to be joint heirs with Christ. And that comes through suffering. Come over to uh Second Timothy chapter two. We all know Second Timothy two fifteen, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly do there you go, rightly dividing the word of truth. But we're not going there right now. We're going a couple of verses before that. Because there's some things that lead up to that verse. There's a context to that verse. And the context of that verse has to do with exactly what we're talking about right here. <laughs> Suffering and glory and the connection between the two. Second Timothy chapter two, verse uh, nine. Paul says, wherein I suffer trouble, uh, in the Gospel, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I suffer all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now there it is. It's not He's suffering these things for the elect's sakes. Now those are saved people. That's the elect. So what does he mean? I'm suffering this for saved people that they may obtain salvation. What does that mean? I suffer all these things for the elect's sake that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see, it wasn't enough for Paul because it wasn't enough for God that, they, that you just obtain salvation. God wants us to obtain salvation plus salvation with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying and we're, um, it is a faithful saying for if we be dead with him we shall also live with him. Okay? So if you're a child of God, if you uh, uh, have the spirit of God in you, then you are uh, dead with Christ. We've seen that throughout these last few chapters of Romans. And if you're dead with Him, you will live with Him. If you're a child of God, you are an heir of God and an heir of salvation. So that, that issue is settled. If you're a Christian, you're going to live with Christ. You're not doing anything to lose it. You're not, uh, um, you're not going to forfeit your salvation somehow. 
If you're dead with Christ, you will live with him. So that issue is settled. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. You know, we, we people come and they, they want to use a, a piece of that passage, in half of that verse, and say, see, if we deny him, he will deny us. So you can, you may not lose your salvation, someone will say, but you can forfeit it. You can, you, can refuse, you can refuse Christ. You can deny Christ. And if you do that, He will deny you. And you'll lose your salvation. The problem is that the verse already said, if we be dead with Christ, we shall also live with Him. So the issue of eternal security is settled in that verse. Then it says, if we suffer, we will reign with Him, and if we deny Him, He will deny us. That is, if we deny Him the suffering, He will deny us the reign. The passage goes on to say, if we believe not, if we stop believing, if we become atheists, Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. So even if we stop believing, we cannot lose or forfeit our salvation because of Christ's faithfulness. Our salvation didn't, wasn't based on our faithfulness to start with. So if our faithfulness goes away, we give it up, throw it away, Christ abides faithful and our salvation is secure. But in between those statements of eternal security, and Paul is very careful to, to, to stress eternal security in, the, in this context, but right in the middle of those two very powerful statements on eternal security is that issue of suffering and glory. And if we deny Him the suffering, He will deny us the reign. So if we are dead with Christ, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. Back to Romans chapter 8. So, again, suffering is connected and your uh, the extremity of your glory is not guaranteed by virtue of your position in Christ. The ultimate glory that you are uh, predetermined, predestined to depends on how you respond to the leading of the Spirit in this life. There is a matter of reward. Paul talks about, he tells the Colossians about getting the reward of the inheritance. And that inheritance is an earned reward. And it's earned through suffering. Now, back in Romans chapter 8. Okay, so that point is established. Now, what kind of suffering are we talking about here? Should we go out and, you know, flog ourselves and, and, and spread out a bunch of crushed glass and just crawl around on that? Is that the kind of thing God's looking for? Just, just beat ourselves up for the, for the sake of it? No. Don't do that. Uh, Christ, yeah, Christ already bled for us. You know, we, I mean, if we bleed for Him, well, then glory to God. But you don't need to, you don't need to go looking for suffering. There's plenty of it out there. 
But there are different kinds of suffering. And the suffering that Paul talks about in this immediate context in Romans chapter 8, let's take a look at it. Verse 17 again. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So now the suffering that Paul's talking about here, in this immediate context in Romans chapter 8, is not... Um, is not some some great persecution and being burned at the stake and and uh, the things that you think about uh, you know down through history uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and Christian sufferings and and that kind of thing. It, the the thing what he's talking about in this context is just the everyday sufferings of being a part of this sin cursed creation. Are, are we groan and travail in pain uh, with the rest of creation just being here. So, that's one kind of suffering. Now you say, okay, well everybody goes through that. How does that uh, work towards our glory? Well, listen now. If you suffer with Christ, you will be glorified together. Now, if I said to you, here, suffer with me for a moment, what would that, what would that mean to you? Does that mean I'm going to go and hurt myself and I want you to come and hurt yourself with me? Or does it mean to, to be patient and stay with me in patience? Keep company with me and 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 don't uh, don't drift off from me when all the uh, when all the throngs left Christ and there was just the 12 left and he looked at them and he said well, how about you you going to go too and they said where would we go lord thou hast the words of eternal life and they stayed and they suffered with him as we walk through this life, come to Colossians chapter 1, we suffer with Christ in that sense. Now we're going from mild to... Uh, we'll, we'll go up the scale a little bit as we go here. But what I'm trying to show you is that there is... Uh, God has, has set it in this dispensation of grace so that all suffering works for you if you suffer with it and you suffer with Christ. 
you're going to suffer by being just being here. The question is, what do you do with it? How do you respond to it? How do you handle it? Do you cower from it? Do you curse it? Do you accept it? Resign yourself to it? Do you embrace it? Can you rejoice in it? Any number of ways we can respond to suffering and how we we respond determines whether we are just suffering or whether we're suffering with Christ and whether it's working for us as an investment for eternal glory. Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 21 And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind, Colossians 1.21, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if... There's another one of them again. That that little two-letter word there. If what? If you continue. If you suffer if you patiently stay with if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So, firstly, if you're going to suffer with Christ, you need to Uh, continue with Him. You need to suffer with Him in the sense that I just gave to you a moment ago. Suffer with Me. Stay with Me. Don't leave. Where else are we going to go, Lord? All others might forsake you. I will never forsake you. And then He was was taillights, right? Old, Old Pete. Nothing, nothing but taillights right on the heel of that statement. I'll never leave you, Lord, as he's, as he's running away. But he didn't stay gone. He suffered with Christ. So that's one definition of it. Paul says you're going to stand there and you're going to be glorified. You're going to be holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. That is, when you're standing before God. If you continue if you suffer. Paul came to the end of his life and he said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which God the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Finish the course. Keep the faith. That's the, that's the first and essential way that you suffer with Christ. If we believe not, if we don't do what Paul is saying here, and we don't continue in the, in the faith, in Paul's Gospel, by the way, you notice what you're continuing in? The Gospel whereof Paul was made a minister. That's what you're continuing in. 
you suffer with Christ, you suffer with, you stay with the gospel of the grace of God, and you stay with the mystery and the truths that God revealed through the Apostle Paul. And you'll find yourself holy and unblameable and unreprovable and, 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 and an heir to that, to that glory that you're looking for out there. So that's one way. Um, another way is just the uh, a godly, Christ-like response to the common sufferings of, of all men. No temptation hath taken you, but such as is common to man. And with every temptation, uh, God hath made a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Christ was in the wilderness for 40 days and he was hungry. That's a suffering, a common suffering of the flesh. And in his state of hunger, Satan came and tempted him. In, in, that, in that very human and very uh, common suffering of, of mortal weakness, hunger. And he withstood the temptation. And he suffered through it rather than alleviate his suffering and give in to the temptation. He chose to suffer the hunger instead of turning the stones to bread. And because he suffered through that and that instant followed by the next instant followed by the next instant through his life until he suffered through death by his sufferings he was crowned with glory. Just in the common everyday weaknesses and travails and groanings of, of, of human existence you can make an investment in eternal glory. God has fixed it in this dispensation of grace that the sufferings that you're going to get anyway can work for you what Paul calls a far exceeding and eternal weight of glory if you respond properly. Now you curse the darkness and you get uh, belligerent and impatient and ungodly uh, in your sufferings. And you and you take a bad attitude, and you get bitter, and you get angry, uh, and 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 all of those things. Well, that's not working for your glory. It's not just suffering. Everybody suffers. But number one, can you resign yourself to it? And that's the absolute minimum. Then can you accept it? Then. Can you embrace suffering? Then, can you rejoice in it? Now, that's a high and lofty aim. It's easy for us to say, sit here tonight in our you know comfortable chairs and say, sure, I can do that. I can rejoice in suffering. But you don't have to think too long and hard about some other things that are going on in your life that you wish were better. And now I have to ask myself, am I rejoicing in those things? You say, there's not much in that to rejoice in. No, there is everything in that to rejoice in because every ounce of suffering earns a ton of glory. What does Paul say? It's not worthy to be compared. The exceeding weight of glory for every ounce of suffering that you respond to properly, there is a 
ton of glory. It's an investment if you respond properly. So why not respond properly? Paul says, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. I've got to do this anyway. So why not do it willingly and get the reward? Why not embrace and even rejoice in the suffering? It's going to be there anyway. God's giving you an opportunity to make it an investment. You say, why? Why do I have to suffer with 45 minutes? That's what I want to know. What? Why do you have? Why suffer? What's you know? Is God some kind of some kind of a sadist? I mean, you know, why? What's up with the suffering? Well, see, here's the thing. What have we been talking about this whole time in in, in Romans? It's about the death of the flesh. It's about death. The Christian life is about death. It started with the suffering of death when the Lord Jesus Christ did it to be the captain of your salvation. It started with the suffering of death when you came to Calvary and your old man died. And it is a continual process of death until we attain to the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. It's all about death to the flesh. If you do mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you mortify the deeds of the body? By suffering. The suffering that occurs in this life is death to our flesh. Now, it can work death to your soul and your spirit if you let it and, and respond in all those negative ways that we talked about. Or you can rejoice in the working of death to your flesh and let it work life in your spirit. Paul says the outward man perishes but the inward man is renewed day by day. How is the inward man renewed? By the perishing of the outward. The suffering that Paul went through was his growth and his glory. And he says, I suffer for your glory. I suffer all these things for the elect's sake that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So after you get the hang of suffering for yourself, and rejoicing in it and embracing it, then you can take that even higher. And you can start suffering for other people. How do you suffer for other people? You get, let me, let me speak as a fool, you, get, you come home from working all day, you stuff as much food as you can in your mouth real fast because you've got five minutes to get back in the car then drive for 45 minutes and come here and visit with all you wonderful saints and, and teach the Bible. <laughs> I speak as a fool because there is nothing I love more. But you think it's not counting for you? That you get dressed and you get out of your house and you get in your vehicle and you come here and you sit and you suffer with me? You think the Lord's not going not to reward you for that? For having to sit here and listen to me? It's our service. It's our service. And then there is, and I'm out of time, then there is the things that, that we think about. Come, come over to Second uh, Corinthians. Everything that you do, 
you know, you suffer for for the uh, for the saints every time you come here and you minister, and just by being here and by reaching out and by offering a word of encouragement. Um, Weeping with them that weep, rejoicing with them that rejoice, uh, all of those things are, are forms of suffering. And we don't often think about it that way because we love to, to minister. Nevertheless, they are death to our flesh. Because we're giving up, you know, I could be laying on my couch watching TV right now. I'd much rather be here, but my flesh would much rather be there. And you know what I'm talking about. But what did we do? We all had the sentence of death in ourselves. That is, we said death to the flesh. I got, my spirit's got better things to do. So we're all here. And we suffered to be here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Second Corinthians. Um... Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you as soon as I find it. So, <laughs> suffer with me a minute. Um, Second Corinthians, and there's a couple of them here. Get uh, chapter 11, because we don't have time to look at them all. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Verse um, 21. 2 Corinthians 11.21 I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit wherein soever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. And he goes on and talks about how he got dropped out a window in a basket to escape death. So Paul, as he's telling you that if we suffer with Christ, we will reign with Him, uh, Romans is written after all these experiences. Paul knew what it was to suffer. He tells the Philippians that it's given to you not only to believe on Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for His name's sake. And Paul says that all they who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And you know that as well as I do as you go out in your, in your life. You know what it is not to uh, fit in with the world around you and how that, how that makes you an outcast. Uh, 
And different people uh, uh, approach that in different ways. Some just, um, you know, think lightly of you and, and dismiss you. Others uh, will just simply ignore you. And some will come out and persecute you. I, myself personally, it's been a long time, but as a young, stupid, newly saved uh, child, I was more than once uh, suffered physical violence um, in connection with my faith. I won't say I did it for my faith, because if I had brains back then, I probably wouldn't have gotten to those situations. But nevertheless... We know what that is to, uh, to suffer directly for our faith. So there's that too. Don't shy away from those things. Paul, Paul tells Timothy, he says, you speak boldly and don't be afraid of their faces and don't be afraid of their words and don't be afraid of, their, of anything that they can do to you because God has not given us the spirit of fear but He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you don't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor of Paul, His prisoner. So we suffer uh, among the world out there, the unsaved world. Paul says, I suffer perils by my own countrymen, and you and I will suffer by our own brethren, not for Christ's sake, but for Paul's. And you know that as well as I do. We don't shrink from that. We glory in it. What does Paul say? If I'm going to glory, I'll glory in the things that concern my infirmities. He goes on in chapter 12 and talks all about physical ailments that he prayed God would take away and God said no. And Paul said, fantastic. I will rejoice. I would rather rejoice in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me in chapter 12. So there's all kinds of ways that we can suffer with Christ and have it work for us, that exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So don't shrink from suffering. Don't curse it. Don't let it embitter you. Resign yourself to it. Solomon says, look, there's a day of prosperity and there's a day of adversity. And God hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. And that's what suffering does for us, is it leads us and brings us and sometimes drives us to God and to a closer, uh, more meaningful relationship with Him. As our flesh dies and our inner man is renewed. So don't shrink from it. Don't be angry at it. Resign yourself to it. Accept it. Embrace it. Rejoice in it. Now that's a process. But that is the process. That's what we're shooting for. you got to have the right perspective. We're we're done. I'm over time. Let's close back in Romans 8. I want to show you one word and we'll close. There's a word that Paul has been using throughout this epistle and particularly in these three chapters, 6, 7, and 8. 
and we've talked about it. And it's the word that makes the connection between your position and your condition. We know all these great truths. We even know now that suffering works for us, this great glory. But how do we bring that home and make it real in our life? There's one word. Romans 8.18 For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now Paul's used that word reckon before, hasn't he? He says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, back in chapter 6, right? What does that mean? I reckon this. See, that's the connection between your position and your condition. You need to reckon it so. Abraham reckoned his own body uh, not dead when he was about a hundred years old, and God said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham believed God, and he reckoned that God's words were true despite what his flesh thought or said or appeared to be. Paul says, reckon your own body now dead, even though you look at yourself and you say, well, my body's not dead. God says it is. Reckon it to be so. It's the same thing with suffering. How do I embrace suffering? How do I rejoice in suffering? You know, it's, it's easy to say that, but I mean, come on. Can you really rejoice in suffering? Yeah, you can. The question is, how do you reckon it? What's your perspective on suffering? How do you see it? Paul says, I reckon this is how my judgment, my reason tells me that it's not worthy to be compared. Hebrews says that Christ went to the cross despising the shame. You know what that means to despise? It doesn't mean to hate and to loathe the way that we use it today. It means that's despise. Think nothing of. Think lightly of. It's not worthy. It's not worthy. The suffering you're going through isn't worthy to be compared with the glory that it's earning for you. That's how you do it. It's in the reckoning. How do you reckon? We're done. Heavenly Father, Lord, with all the glory and all the joy and all the blessings and the pleasant things that You bring to our life, in addition to those, even the sufferings works for us to Your glory and to ours. Father, I pray that we would understand the relationship between the things that we go through in this life, the hard things, and the brevity and the temporary nature of this life of suffering and the greatness and the eternal nature of the glory that it earns for us that it works for us by Your grace. Father, I pray that we would make that simple connection of reason and reckoning to know that an ounce is a great investment for a ton return and that we would rejoice in the opportunity to make that investment. 
that opportunity that you give to us each and every day. I pray that we would take the sufferings of this life like Christians. In our Savior's name, amen.